This is going to be a fun episode of the Weekly Wealth Podcast. A fellow financial advisor from our firm, Nadir Jalil, is going to be talking with me today about some steps that young professionals can take early that will set them up for financial freedom later on in life. So I hope that you enjoy this episode. This is the Weekly Wealth Podcast with certified financial planner, David Chudik where we discuss the wealth-building mindsets and tactics that can help you to build and maintain wealth for you, your family, and your business. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of the Weekly Wealth Podcast, where we talk about the mindsets, the tactics, and the strategies to help you to build and maintain wealth. My name is David Chudik, and I am a financial advisor with a twist with Parallel Financial. So I do all of the things that a certified financial planner does with regard to the financial planning process, but I also can help business owners to maximize the value of their business so that they can sell it for a higher multiple when they're ready or simply have an easier life today. So if you're interested in that, uh, go to my website, www.allofmyassets.com. You can take the value builder score and see how your business is doing. But I'm really excited today to have another advisor from our firm, from Parallel Financial. And we're going to talk about young professionals and setting, young, how young professionals can set themselves up for financial freedom and financial success later. So um, I have Nadir uh, Jalil with us today. He was born in South Africa in 1997 and moved to America when he was two years old. His family uh, moved throughout the Southeast until high school, where he called Greenville home. Finance and money has always been of an interest to him, and going through the 2008 recession at such an impressionable age made him a better understanding of finance. He attended Clemson University and graduated with a degree in financial management in 2020, and he joined Parallel Financial as a financial advisor in the following year. So, hey, Nadir, how are you? I'm doing very well. How are you doing? I am doing great. I'm glad to have you on. I know you and I are good friends, and I hate to say that I'm older than dirt, but um, you and I are a little bit different generations, so... Um, I tend to gravitate towards people my age. Uh, you're a little bit younger. So we're going to talk to the people that are younger than me today and your age on how to get, this is some stuff that I probably would have really wanted to talk about when I was um, in my twenties and early thirties, but probably like a lot of us, uh, like a lot of us didn't. So, um, so yeah, so young professionals, there's a lot of talk nowadays about student loans and houses costing too much. And every generation has like their challenges, what are some of the challenges that that the young professionals, you know, your age and a few years younger, a few years older are facing now kind of that involve money? Well, I think a big change in a lot of the young professionals' lives is going from being in that college atmosphere where you're kind of struggling, not having a lot of money, and then you graduate and you get your first job and all of a sudden you have this influx of income. And a lot of the times you can fall into traps where every time you get another raise or something in your job, you suffer from life inflation. So, and then you look back and you think about, you know, where you started and where you are now. And you realize that every time you've gotten another influx of money, you kind of just change your lifestyle. So I think getting used to having available money from your salary is a big change for a lot of people. And also right now with the current, you know, economy we're in right now, like inflation is, you know, hurting people, there's layoffs and stuff like that. So it's important to build the habits very early on in your career. So when stuff like does stuff in the economy like this does happen, you, you know, you can weather it and you're not going to be in a financially, you know, 
in a, in a place financially where you're worried about, you know, making ends meet. Sure. So let's say, and actually this is good, good, good topic for me. I have a 19 year old who's a sophomore at university of South Carolina. So he's, I guess, almost a mortal enemy with you because you're Clemson, he's South Carolina. But uh, you know, when somebody graduates, they get their first job and maybe it's not paying a whole lot of money. And maybe two years later, they switch jobs or, or get a promotion. And I don't know, they get a 10, 20% raise and two years later, another 10, 20% raise three years later, so in the course of a few years, they've gotten some several kind of significantly noticeable raises. What's your advice? Like how much of that extra money do you enjoy and just have a better life? And how much do you um, save? Because I think a lot of people, they say, all right, I just got a $10,000 raise, $20,000 raise. That means I can now afford you know, that next level car. And they end up really not having any extra money. They just have a nicer car, but they still have kind of that stress of making those payments. So what's your advice when people get raises in the early part of their career? Well, I would say is to establish a budget with that first job that you get, establish a budget a budget that you can live on. I like to have different categories of money. And that's why I recommend the 50, 30, 20 budget to a lot of young professionals with a simple, um, with like a simple cash flow. You know, they don't have a lot of, you know, debt or retirement planning or anything. So they can operate out of the budget. And when you do see that influx of money, you know, you can, you know, enjoy the fruits of your labor. But if you can, you know, live on the bare minimum of that 50, 30, 20 budget and you do get to a place where you get an increase, you know, the best place you can put that is into some type of savings account or investment account or, you know, contribute more to your 401k or something along those lines. So 50, 30, 20, what, what, what are those numbers? What are those ratios numbers represent specifically each one? All right. So the 50, 30, 20. So. 50% of your budget, of your of your income should go to things that you need. Such is that as your like after gas. tax, just what your take home is, what your paycheck is, or is that your, your pre-tax kind of annual salary? Yeah, we can go with after tax because that's what really is going to matter, you know, is the okay. after tax income. So 50% of your after tax income goes to things you need, like uh, food, gas, your bills. Then 30% goes to things that you want, such as, you know, if you want a new outfit or going out to eat or something like that. And then 20% goes to savings, investment, and debt repayment. You want to see the debt repayment first because, you know, especially with a high interest debt like credit cards and stuff like that, you can save a lot of money. And in a way, you kind of get a return on your money because you're not having to pay interest on that debt. So paying off debt, high interest debt is probably the first thing you want to do. Then after that, get the savings, an emergency savings fund. And then after that, I would suggest going into some type of brokerage account where you're going to get some type of capital appreciation. Okay. Do you have a kind of an ideal amount of 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 money or or months worth of expenses for an emergency um, for an emergency account? Because I know you hear anything from one month to you know a year. What do you think is kind of reasonable to to work towards? I think starting out um, three months is pretty decent. Um, I wouldn't say go anything more than a year because you're kind of wasting you know opportunity at that point, just having a year's worth of savings in your savings account, right? And you could put the rest of that savings into a brokerage account or something like that. So I would say starting out three months is good, you know, moving along, you know, try to get to six months and then eventually a year. And, you know, with a year's worth of salary in your savings account, you know, you have a lot of freedom to do a lot with. So three months to a year, you know, depending on what stage you are within your life. Sure, sure. You know, I always say it's not about the money, but it's about what the money does for you. And especially when you have kids, cash just helps you to sleep at night. You know, there's no job that's ever 100% secure. And if you own a business, 
um, there's a lot of upside, but there's also a lot of downside. So that emergency fund can be huge just with the sleep at night factor. And just to, you know, to know that, Hey, within reason, whatever happens, I can handle. If I need to replace my roof, I have my deductible in the bank. Or if, if I do get laid off, I mean, people that work for Google are getting laid off left and right. I think they have some pretty big severance packages, but still, uh, I think that emergency fund just, it's not sexy, but it really serves a purpose in reducing stress. And I like, you know, kind of one of my, my mottos is I, I want for my clients to have less stress by, uh, by how they handle their money. What about the 401ks? Um, most, if you're working for a bigger company, you're going to have access to a 401k. Do you have any just real general advice as far as how much of your your pay should go towards a 401k? Um, and then also, like, should you be logging into your 401k every day, stressing about the balances? What are some ways that you can kind of optimize how your 401k will perform over time? Right. So, we always suggest going with the Roth rather than traditional due to the history of taxes. Taxes have gone up, you know, going look, look in the past. So we estimate or predict that taxes will go up in the future. So what the Roth does, it, it it's a tax to deferrable account. So you're not going to pay taxes when you withdraw the money. In terms of how much you should be um, putting into your 401k, I would say that at least put in whatever your company is going to match because that's essentially 100% return on your investment. And um, obviously, if you can afford more, do as much as you can. I think most companies max out around $20,000 per year for, you know, somebody that's single filing taxes. Um, so yeah. And in terms of uh, managing it, you know, that's something that we can do as well. We, we do. I don't know if a lot of other advisors can do that, but we can actually manage people, uh, clients for one as while they're still at their job. If um, you're in, in a place where an advisor doesn't offer that, you know, I would probably take a look every quarter or every semi semi annually just to see what's going on with the account, but I wouldn't stress too much about it, especially if you're young, you have a lot of time left until you are retired. So as you do get older, you want to allocate it a little more reserved. So you're not, you know, risking a lot of your money, but while you're young, you know, try to get the aggressive returns that, you know, you can't really do when you are getting, when you are older. So you have a much more risk tolerance when you're younger. So I would say, you know, just try to, you know, get as much as you can with uh, your returns and then tailor it down as you get older. Yeah. I mean, I always tell, tell clients in their twenties, thirties, and even early forties and mid forties as as stressful as it might be when the market's going down, it's actually a good thing for your retirement accounts. Cause as you're putting money in every two weeks, you're buying at a discount. So it seems counterintuitive, but, but let me ask you this. If I told you the gas station down the block was selling gas for 50 cents, you would go and fill up your car. Plus you'd probably fill up every water jug you could because you're buying something that's on sale. Well, the stock market, the stock market is the same um, if it's money that you don't need to use for a while. So on these retirement accounts, you know, the, when the markets are down, you know, maybe even consider pumping some more money into it uh, uh, for sure. So what's a stigma around financial advisors for most professionals? Like what, 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 do, what do young professionals think about financial advisors? That you got to be rich to have one, that it's um, not accessible for somebody starting out. Um, you know, there's a but lot that's of- That's true, right? I mean, uh, uh, advisors, they need to work with rich people or else they simply can't make a living, right? Or or is that not the case? I, I don't think that's the case. You know, there are certain um, firms that have minimum requirements for, you know, to invest with them. You know, we don't have that here at Parallel. So 
I feel like there's a lot more than an advisor can do than just investing your money for them. So, you know, we do things like financial planning. Um, we do investing insurance. We help with business operations such as like payrolls and stuff. You know, obviously the 401k we just talked about. Not only that, but, you know, you can use your advisor as a resource to, you know, help get into other industries. Let's say you need to want to buy a house. Your advisor probably knows a real estate agent or if you need help with taxes, they probably know a CPA or if you need a will written up for your parent or something, you know, your advisor probably knows a lawyer or something like that. So there's a lot more than an advisor can benefit you rather than just investing your money. That is, you know, the number one thing we do, you know, is invest money, but they're a resource for a lot of other avenues of business. And, so you know, if, if I wanted your help, but I don't necessarily have a lot of money to invest, but I know that, you know, I probably need some life insurance, but I don't know how much. And I know that, um, I might need some advice and strategies on how to pay down some student loans. And I know that I'm spending more than I earn. What are some different ways that you get paid or, or, you know, you're obviously not making any or much money off of my investments because in this hypothetical scenario, I don't really have much money to invest, if any at all. Yeah. So, I mean, when I look at uh, onboarding a client, I look at them as having a client for life. So, Initially, it might not be a high net worth client that I'm going to make a lot of money off of. But if we do the right things, if we set you up with a good budget, you know, we get you the insurance that you need at an affordable price. And, you know, we allocate the funds in proper, appropriate ways in return in terms of your budget. Eventually, you will be in a place where you can invest money. So if you even start off a small account with as much as you can afford and then put $100, $250, $500 a month, eventually it's going to add up and you're going to get the compound interest as well as, you know, the dollar cost averaging from depositing monthly. So you'll turn around and then in, in a couple of years, you'll have five figures in the account and then you'll probably be in a better place of your job where you can't afford to invest more. So it kind of just snowballs. So even if you're going to an advisor at a place where you don't have a lot of money to invest in the future, they can help you get to a place where, you know, you do have extra funds to invest. Okay. Yeah. And I love that you're willing to do that and you're willing to help people um, to, to kind of get ahead. Uh, I, I think that when we go to school, high school, and, and even in college, you learn a lot of stuff that I'm going to say really doesn't help you a whole lot. I haven't used algebra and I've been out of, been out of school for a long time. I've, I've never seen a dinosaur, but I, I think at least at a point I knew which eras the dinosaurs lived in, but you don't learn you don't learn how to really handle money in schools. You don't even learn, you don't learn relationships, you know, how to have better relationships. You don't learn how to have a healthier body. And these are the things that really matter. And then, um, you know, Shakespeare, all kinds of other, maybe not so important facts we learn. So I think our schools fail us. And, and I think that, you know, the people like you and me that are helping people to make good financial decisions, that just spills over every part of all of your life. Uh, married couples, you know, sh the stress of money is one of the biggest sources of divorce. So you get that under control, you literally have a better marriage. And when you have a better marriage and you're happy, you're a better parent. And and when you're less stressed out, you do a better job at work and you can make more money. So so money is one of the foundational parts of our lives that we really, really need to get under control. And sometimes, you know, having having the help of, of an advisor is extremely, extremely important. So um, what are some things that a financial advisor can do to help young professionals to, to get set up for the future when, 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 when they're young, they may be, you know, what we call Henry's high earners, not rich yet. Uh, what can an advisor do for those type of people? 
Well, I think the foundation is a budget that works for you that can actually be implemented into your daily life. So if you already have that, great. We can take a look at it to see if there's anything we can tweak. Um, but if not, you know, start off with a budget and something that you know where your money's going, you know how much you can afford for different type of things. Um, you know, after you get that down, obviously you want to have your emergency fund like we talked about, but then, you know, start to think about, you know, having your money work for you in terms of putting it into a brokerage account. So that's something that they can either do it themselves. And there's a million resources online to show you how to get started investing. You know, index funds are really good for, you know, beginners investing that don't want to have to worry about it too much, but that's also what we do too. You know, we have active portfolios managed by a portfolio manager that does it for us. So I would, after you get the budget down, I would get started investing. You know, if you plan on buying a home or have a start in a family or getting married, I definitely think health life insurance is something that you need to have. You know, that's a hard homes. one because people, when you start looking for life insurance, you you you're you're contemplating you know your mortality, and people don't like to do that unless they're nudged a little bit. So I have some clients right now. I'm nudging you. Got to get your wills done. You got to get your wills done, and they know they need to, but they just they're just dragging their feet. But that's one yeah. of my jobs is to make sure they get those wills done. Yeah, it's not something anybody wants to talk about, but it's a reality of life. Um, you know, buying a home is probably one of the most expensive cash expenditures you will do in your lifetime or at least in your early lifetime. So, you know, you don't want to be in a place where if something does happen to you, then your entire home that you put all that money down for and you work so hard to get is just going to get foreclosed on or something along those lines. You know, you want to have, you know, some type of backup that if something does happen, your hard work's not going to go away, especially if you have children or a wife, you know, you become people depend on you at that point, you know, your spouse depends on you or your children depend on you. And if anything were to happen to you, you don't want to leave them, you know, just high and dry wondering how to, you know, make things, make ends meet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think those, those are some of the things that, that make a, a huge, huge difference. Uh, people always, when I meet someone and they say, what do you do for a living? And I say, I'm a financial advisor. Uh, they'll always say, oh, well, where's the market going? Or, hey, if I gave you $100,000 to invest for me right now, where would you put it? And my <laughs> answer is always, I don't know. I don't know anything about you. I don't know your risk tolerance. I don't know what this money would be for. I don't know if you need to pay off debt with it. Uh, I don't know how you're going to freak out if the market goes down 4% today. So I don't know. But what I do know right. is I'll make sure that every part of your life is a financial life is moving towards optimization. And um, who knows, we might even buy some insurance uh, with some of that money to protect your family. I mean, I don't know. So it's part of the planning process is what, what I like to explain. Yeah, definitely. You got to find out all those things about your clients before you put their money anywhere, because you never, like you said, you never know if the account goes down 4% one day, how are they going to react to that? Can they withstand that? Uh, it's all very important things. And also, you know, time horizon is a big thing too. Um, I'm sure you've had clients that, you know, might've wanted to give you money, but their time horizon is a year or two. So it's not really going to be beneficial to them to put their money into, you know, an an actively managed portfolio if they're going to need it within a year because it takes time for the market and you know our investment philosophy to do its thing let's take a quick break from the podcast if you're a business owner and if you are getting to the point where you might be considering selling your business um, go to my website www.allofmyassets.com slash Prescore. That's P-R-E-S-C-O-R-E. -E. Take the Prescore. That's the uh, personal readiness to exit score. Gives you some really good insight on if or when you will be ready both financially and even mentally and emotionally to sell and exit your business. 
Okay, let's get back to the podcast now. Money markets are doing really, really well right now for some short-term investments, like four and a quarter percent. So this has been a great time where I've helped some of my clients just to park some of that cash in a money market, as opposed to a bank account. And instead of making, you know, 0.1%, you're making four, which, you know, is uh, certainly not going to set the world on fire, but is, but is a really good, uh, it's a much higher rate of return with, with almost no risk than, than we've seen in a, in a long time. So- right. Unfortunately, I, I graduated college long time ago, um, and things were a little bit different uh, then. Uh, do you have any any advice, any tidbits for for the the people that are graduating, and and you know they have twenty, thirty, fifty, hundred thousand dollars or or more of student loans, and they just have normal jobs. So they didn't they don't have a half million dollar physician job. They have normal jobs, and and they're their um their their student loan payment is taking up a, a kind of a big chunk of their monthly uh monthly monthly income what are some student loan tips well obviously you want to pay more than the minimum because the majority of the time you pay minimum you're paying interest not principal so you want to pay more than the minimum that you can afford i mean it's kind of hard because i personally haven't had to go through that yet because of everything with the covid restrictions, you know, their student loan payments have been deferred. So I haven't really experienced a lot of uh, student loan issues. Um, I mean, that might be something that you might have encountered. Have you encountered anybody that's still dealing with student loan issues? Uh, like we said, I'm old. Um, so most of, most of, um, I, I deal with people, you know, generally my age or older. Um, right. So, so student loans are not, not an issue or not much of an issue. Let, let me take that question back a few years. So, if if um let's say I'm 18 and I'm about to go to college and let's say that my parents are not in a position to where they can pay for all of my schooling. So I'm gonna have to borrow some money or or not go to school. Um, what advice might you have for me to kind of minimize the amount of debt that I would have once I get out of school? I think right. don't okay, buy so beer with your student loan money is probably number one, right? Yeah, definitely not. I mean, if you're dead set on going to a university fresh out of high school, you know, that's your decision. But community college is an option, too, which is a lot cheaper. You know, you can get a year or two out the way with community college. And then, you know, the real bill is going to come when you go to that university, that big box school. So if you can or if you're in a position where you can attend a community college, so like that, that would be the, the best thing to do. But say you want to go to a university somewhere. Just take out how much ever money you actually need to cover your tuition. Maybe get a second a, a job, you know, part time. I was a server while I was in college. Um, that worked out pretty well, and eventually, I, you know, started reselling shoes. Um, you know, just try to find other ways. You got to grind, yeah, can. yeah. I mean, you, you got to grind, be a grinder, yeah. yeah. Got to find ways to, you know, put money in your pocket that you can use that money to spend on yourself. You know, going out on the weekends uh, with friends and stuff, rather than using your your tuition money that you're supposed to be paying to the school to do all that stuff with. Yeah. One of the things that just drives me nuts is uh, there's a couple, you know, I drive through Clemson university on the way home all the time. And there are some of these student housing facilities where they're nicer than my house. I mean, and I, I just don't know that borrowing money so you can live in a, a, a student housing neighborhood where there's a lazy river and, 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 and gyms and granite countertops and just really, I mean, you're supposed to live in a crap hole in college. I think that's kind of the whole, the whole idea, uh, you know, if that's your financial reality, I think some of these student housing uh, areas are way too nice and people are borrowing, um, borrowing a lot of money. Now, one thing that, that my family did is we bought a house in Columbia where my son goes to school 
and we're renting two bedrooms out. So the numbers work out to where we're actually profiting $200 every month roughly from renting, you know, we bought a, it's a brick ranch house. It's not a mansion, but it's certainly nicer than the dorms. And um, so we're, we're, we're making some equity. Um, and, but instead of paying our son's rent every month of 600 to a thousand dollars, we're actually not paying anything plus profiting 200 plus building equity in a home. So uh, I actually did a podcast episode with, with our real estate agent on that tactic. And if, if the numbers can work in something like that, that's worked out really, really, really well uh, for us. So yeah, I mean, you definitely set them up for, you know, to come out of college in a good in a good place. That's what mm -hmm. a lot of people, you know, my age, um, I'm, around, I'm 25, so a lot of people are trying to get into their first homes. Um, and, you know, the FHA is something that a lot of people use because I think it's 3.5% down, which mm -hmm. helps a lot. And, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the term house hacking, how you can get up to a four-unit uh, multifamily home under an FHA loan and then rent out the other three units to um, – as a source of income so you can pay the mortgage and then you have to live in the house for a year as well. So wow. that's something that a lot of people are doing now, um, house hacking, but multifamily homes are pretty rare to find. So you have to be really lucky and kind of in the right position to do that. But I've seen it done and people have seen a lot of success with that. Yeah, you run into the right situation, but that's what a good financial advisor does. I mean, you're not a licensed real estate agent, but you know a lot of tricks of the trade, just like um, I have a client who did the same thing that I did. His his Their son is going to school in North Carolina, but uh, they became a client last year. The markets were kind of doing some wonky things. So I said, look, you know, you you have some money. Uh, your, your child's going to grad school. Why not buy a house? Put some money, instead of investing the monies in the markets, which is going to make you a little bit nervous, invest that towards a house. And then they're doing the same thing. They, they bought a house. They have a little bit of a mortgage. They have a couple of roommates paying down that mortgage. And that's diversified. I mean, that's, so they have market assets and they have another piece of real estate now. So that, that really put them in a, um, in a good position. Uh, the other yeah. thing with student loans and, and colleges, and I don't know how you feel, but I think you also have to look at like the earning potential of your major. There, there are things that are kind of cool and interesting that I like, but they probably don't pay a lot of money. So does it make sense to, to borrow a lot of money? And you know, they, the, the term starving artist, I certainly didn't invent, but not that many artists make, make a living. And it's not all about the money, but if you're borrowing a lot of money, you have to be in a field where there's at least the potential to have a, um, you know, somewhat of a, of a significant income or at least the ability to pay off that loan. I mean, did, did you, you know, having been in school relatively recently, did you see people who maybe were not going into higher paying careers, but maybe spending too much money on their education? Yeah, I mean, definitely. Um, people I've, I have had a lot of friends that have transferred majors because they started off in something like some type of engineering. They decided it wasn't for them or it was too difficult. So they went a different route. And, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, it is, money isn't everything. It's a big part of life. And if that career makes them happy and they're okay with making less money because it's a less lucrative career, you know, that's up to them. If they can still live a happy life, afford what they want to afford, then, you know, that's, that's, that's their choice to make. Not everybody wants to be, you know, the guy pulling up in a Rolls Royce, you know, with a thousand dollar suit on. Some people are happy with just making enough to survive and doing what they like to do. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this is awesome. Um, I really wanted to have you on the show because like I said, we're, we're, we're a couple decades different. And I think most of us 
tend to work the best with people like us. Um, so I wanted uh, I wanted you to have the opportunity to talk to some of our listeners who are in their 20s and, and 30s. Not that I can't work with people in their 20s and 30s, and not that you can't work with people who are, and I hate to even say this, going to be 50 this year, which is horrible. Um, but but we tend to work the best with um, with people who are like us. So if there's anybody in their 20s, 30s, or even any other age that are saying, you know what, this Nadir dude, like I like what he's saying. I like his philosophies. Um, how would somebody find you? How would they get in touch with you? And what would what would it look like to kind of have the beginnings of a financial relationship with you? Yeah, so I would say just send me an email, um, Nadir at parallelfinancial.com. Um, you can find it on Parallel's website as well or on LinkedIn, Nadir Jalil. That's N-A-A-D-I-R-J-A-L-I-L-L. Um, that would probably be the best way to get in contact with me. Um, shoot me an email or send me a message on LinkedIn. I would be happy to talk to anybody. And also, you know, if there's if you're not necessarily a young professional listener to this, but you have a child that's kind of around this age, you know, I'm sure that they can take advice from David or for me as well. You know, we're I'm in this position where a lot of people um, don't really see a lot of advisors that are my age. So I feel like I can really help because not only do I have the experience going through it firsthand, but I have the team at Parallel to help me with, you know, decades of combined experience of going through and seeing pretty much every scenario there is. So, I mean, it's not just me you're working with, you're working with Parallel. Um, but yeah, that's how the best way you can reach me. Um, and also I've been you know, trying to get more consistent with posting content on TikTok and Instagram, um, you know, stuff just like this. I like that you've been doing this. And I know you do a lot of TikTok videos as well. Um, you can find me at that at advice in your best interest, just one word on TikTok and Instagram. So. Yeah. Well, and you yeah. know, there's going to be some TikTok clips uh, coming out of this, uh, coming out of this episode. So we'll, we'll get, uh, we'll, we'll get you on there. So, so yeah, that is, that's pretty cool. And, and yeah, Parallel Financial, we're an independent firm. So we have a lot of different options. We have a wide variety of expertise. And I like to say that we're a big, small firm. So we're not one of the huge, huge, huge investment banks that has quotas. And we just, you know, we're a fiduciary firm and we can just simply do what's right for the clients. Um, you know, you and I, we have separate clients, but we can certainly bounce ideas off of each other. Um, you know, I can ask for your advice on some student loan issues that I may not be that well versed on. And, and there may be some areas of expertise that I have. So we have a great, one of our advisors was an attorney. One of our advisors was a pro baseball player. Uh, our founders have a tremendous amount of experience. We have a great support staff. So, so parallel financials, a great, great, great firm that gives us a lot of tools. So before we wrap it up, I put every guest on the spot. And this is a question that I did not tell you that I was going to ask you. So we're the Weekly Wealth Podcast, and we talk about the mindsets, the tactics, and the strategies that help you to build and maintain wealth. So Nadir, what is your definition of wealth? What what does wealth mean to you? What makes you wealthy? Hmm, tough question. I would say the definition to me of wealth is having enough money where you're not worried about it, where you're not living or not struggling, not living paycheck to paycheck. That's being wealthy. If you can afford your bills and you know you can get your kids the toys they want or whatever makes them happy, you can go out to dinner with your spouse and enjoy your life. That's what wealth is to me. Wealth doesn't need to have a specific number. It can it changes for everybody. Whatever you can do, however you can live your life comfortably. That's what I define wealth as. Awesome. I had a client years ago and he inherited three or $4 million. And, um, he had a lot, he, 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 
literally couldn't live on $30,000 a month. It was never enough. He was one of the most miserable people that I had ever known. Um, and it wasn't because of lack of money for sure. He just, there's a lot of things he needed to work through. And then of course, you know, we all know somebody who's simple and just lives within their means and are very happy people. So I, um, I like your answer. So, so hey everybody. So Nadir, N-A-A-D-I-R at Parallel Financial. If you're interested, um, he'll always do uh, either a Zoom call or a meet in person at the Greenville office. Uh, we actually have a, an office up in uh, Greer and Spartanburg and even in Seneca. So um, N-A-A-D-I-R at ParallelFinancial.com. If you'd like to talk to Nadir about anything that's keeping you up with uh, regards to your money. And until next week, uh, we wish everybody a, a blessed week. Thanks, Nadir. Thank you, David. Have a great one. The information contained herein, including but not limited to research, market valuations, calculations, estimates, and other material obtained from Parallel Financial and other sources are believed to be reliable. However, Parallel Financial does not warrant its accuracy or completedness. The materials are provided for informational purposes only. It should not be used or construed as an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security. Past performance is not indicative of future results.